Good evening, Nam, and happy Monday. It's Haile Minogue, and you're tuned in to Spinning Around on Area 3000. This is the last week of the show for 2021, and I've got a couple of very special guests to send us off with a bang tonight. As always, thank you for tuning in for more conversations and mixes with dance music's latest and greatest. Before we begin, we acknowledge that we are broadcasting on the land of its traditional custodians, the Wurundjeri people. We respect their past, present, and ongoing relationship with the land for the many, many many generations to come. Thank you to everyone that purchased the 2021 Alumni VA. I really appreciate it. All that money will be going straight to pay the rent and the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. And if you haven't been able to make a donation this year, but have come into a position where you can spare a tenner for some tunies, then be sure to check out the Spinning Around Bandcap and add some heat to your USBs. If you've already done so, or you've already donated to these charities, thank you for helping the wonderful folks that provide the much needed resources for the mob today. My first guest tonight is a Warring-based DJ, podcast host, radio host, music journalist, and the managing editor of one of Australia's most respected music publications, Purple Sneakers. He's one of the most important voices in Australian music journalism, especially in dance music, for curating, writing, and producing content that highlights many parts of the music scene. On the come up, he's contributed pieces to Neon Records and Of Leisure Records, and is currently contributing to Acclaim Magazine as well as Purple Sneakers as well. Via sound, he hosts regular show Guide to Life on Nomad Radio, and has also contributed guest mixes to the likes of Douglas Street, Gage, and Fruit Bowl. Tonight, I have the pleasure of tabling the turns on him and asking him about his work, his life, and where things are headed. Did I mention this guy can make a spicy mix, by the way? Ooh, just wait till you hear this. My guest is none other than Parry, aka Parry Talks. Hey, Parry, welcome to the show. How are you going? Good, good. Thanks for that intro. Wow, I'm, I've never heard like all of my... All everything I do, it's weird to hear it. Like I only ever see it in my Instagram bio. So hearing someone say it out loud, it's like, oh my god, this is super. Like, do I have any spare time anymore? Like, so many thoughts just went through my head about like this massive <laughs> existential crisis, but in the best way possible. Thank you so much for having me, though. Um, of super grateful to be here. Of course, of course. No, thank you so much for making the time yourself. I mean, um, you've been in this game longer than I have, and of course, you're someone that I like look up to and respect like in this realm of what we do. So like, it's an honor to have you here. I appreciate it. Please don't look up to me. I feel like <laughs> sometimes people say that and I'm just like, I just bit the bullet and got really lucky and had some, made some really lucky friends. And that's just why I'm here. I credit everything to the people around me. So yeah, don't look up to me, look up to the other people. No, I think, I think the most admirable thing, right? The reason why I can still look up to you, despite there being like any element of luck involved, and this goes for anybody, right? Is that you've remained throughout this whole time, even now being at the pinnacle of like an Australian music publication, you have maintained your integrity. I think that's like one of the things that I like really respect. You know, like I've never seen you at the very least in the short time that I've known about you. I've never seen you like turn tail on like an opinion that you've had. Well, I mean, rather it's okay to turn tails on an opinion, just like so long as you're not contradicting yourself in a purposeful way, you know, you're not doing anything for clout. You're certainly not doing anything just for, you know, uh, your own personal profile. You do this because you love it. And that's very clear to see. Yeah. And I think that took a, look, a lot of learning as well. I always had this these grand ideas when I was younger, like in high school, knowing that I love music, but I didn't want to be an artist. And it took it took a long time to figure out how to properly navigate and have a conversation, um, not recorded conversation, just general conversations about life and music and culture. Um but yeah, it definitely took a long time and I feel like the past year and a half 
um, or two years even, um, the timing just worked perfectly where I actually grew up as an adult and I forgot all these rancid kid <laughs> opinions that I had and really just like evolved. So yeah, it did. It, that takes a lot of learning, I think, and a lot of deliberate learning too. Do you think there's been any particular turning point in like your career where you sort of can distinctly pick out when you've like grown as a person in that way? Definitely. And like not to sound too sappy, but I think one of them is definitely when I started volunteering at Purple Sneakers, um, I knew I loved dance music. I had no idea wanted to, what I wanted to do in this world or this culture or this, you know, sphere of underground <laughs> like dance that no one really cares about. But um, from my first day there riding under Caitlin, who's an alumni of yours as well. Of course. And then after, after Emma, um, both of those figures in my life truly changed my perspective of what it means to tell a story and, you know, provoke and to speak highly of something in a really respectful way. So I think those two for sure. And then having started the podcast, I had no idea what I was doing. I was interviewing anyone and literally, not that those people were insignificant. Yeah, of course. They mean the most to me, but meeting those people um, on that occasion and just being like, wow, you're so incredible. And then those conversations, those are friendships. So I think all those friendships I made in those early episodes and you see like a lot of those early episodes have become my closest friends now. Mm. So like, yeah, those those figures that I definitely look up to um, for sure changed everything. In terms of the things that you've learned from Caitlin and then the things that you've learned from Emma, is there anything in particular that you have learned from them? I can't even, I don't think I could numb it down to an individual thing. It's very much just how both of them and Caitlin especially because they were like my babysitter effectively <laughs> during that time. Um, just how they operated and how they presented themselves and how they went out and spoke to people and all that sort of stuff. Just me sitting next to them being like, oh, so this is how, <laughs> like it's just general behaviors and ideas and yeah, that that was more the influence rather than a specific lesson, I think. Something interesting that you brought up, and this sort of just brought this to mind as well. You were saying that, you know, you came into this as a fan of dance music. But I remember reading a tweet of yours, um, which, by the way, thank you very much for letting me know that exists. I read a tweet of yours saying that you actually have a distinct difference between the music that you say you like publicly and the music that you actually like privately. So... When you say that you like dance music, I don't know how, if I can believe you or not. Yeah. I, is, do you actually like it? Or There's this weird position, I think, you probably feel this as well as a curator, where you almost have a guard up and a shield up for certain types of parties and music and all that sort of stuff. So I feel like, um, and if you look at the Purple Sneakers coverage, it's quite diverse. And you, you were definitely able to pick the stuff that I love, 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 love deep down. And I love everything that I cover. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so much incredible music on that platform. Yeah. But there's definitely a shielding of, um, I really want to listen to this ambient record or cover this party um, privately because I think that there is this weird distinction between like being a public creator of music and also genuinely enjoying it because I went through phases where I like you work nine to five every single day pretty much mm -hmm. and you're covering music and you get in this work focus and it absolutely drains you and it, it just suffocates the life out of you where you clock off work and when I'd normally be listening to music, it was like I, I do not want anything to do with music. Mm. I just sit down yeah. and then, but then I think that's where my love for like my private listening has really excelled um, in the more like sort of like ambient tones and um, the, you know, slowed down stuff that I don't really cover on the website or on Parry Talk. So 
it's not so much that I dislike anything that I cover. Um, it's more, you can definitely pick which ones I really love, mm-hmm. um, but there's definitely a need. And I think a lot of music creators will agree with this to almost have private times to listen to music and also um, publicly showing it and wearing that on your sleeve because it can get so toxic and really exhausting. I, I tell you what, like since starting work in this beautifully tragic thing that we call the music industry, I have not appreciated silence more than I have do you know what I mean? All too well. Like silence is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's so And nice. I think I said this as well on a previous podcast, just um, there's definitely, and that that triggered one night I was out with my friends, all my friends. It was such a beautiful night, but I felt myself um, not being, and like, I feel like when you go to a club, there's this experience and you're longing for this idea of like removal from the world. And you're just trying to like forget everything in the best way possible. Mm. Not because of an external substance, not because of alcohol, not because of anything, just the pure atmosphere and vibe and aesthetic of the room. And I felt myself getting really like thinking about work. And like, it's a natural, it's a natural evolution because you're listening to music. And once I listen to music, I'm thinking of work and I couldn't, it just broke me. I remember you were saying in the in the last interview that you did with um, Pretty Girl, like it's gotten to a point where you go to a gig and then you start thinking like, oh, I should have them on the podcast. Oh, I should like get them on the show. I should interview them. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, definitely. And it's almost like, oh, it's just like the super, just like the most toxic thing I've ever thought in my mind. And I feel like a lot of DJs will agree with this is you hear and my friend Oscar, shout out Oscar, who runs Nomad Radio as well, um, where we look at each other and... And like, this is so toxic and I hate myself for this. So call me out all you want. Sure. But it's like, you can, you can almost feel yourself jogging the wheel in your head. It's like, this is slightly out of time. And I'm like, (laughs) that is the most disgusting thing I've ever thought in my life. Wait, why is is that toxic? Why is that toxic? Because who cares? I don't think that's majorly toxic. Because what effect does jogging the wheel, the slightest bit, so the mix is the tiniest bit cleaner, um, have an impact on this party that I'm at? Well, it, it doesn't have an impact on the party, but it's clearly impacting you. I mean, but I think that's I think that's a consequence of me working and overthinking, though, right. rather than me being a music fan. Right, 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 right. Gotcha, gotcha. It's kind of tough, I suppose, working. Well, I mean, going from being a music fan to working in the industry and then trying to maintain that sort of like bright-eyed eagerness that you had, like when you first started. In terms of like my enjoyment of music, like I said, silence sounds so fucking good these days. <laughs> Honestly, you know, in my own spare time, I prefer listening to um, podcasts than I actually do um, music. And like, I know that sounds pretty weird considering that I do love music as well, but like, I think it's the same as you. It's just like, sometimes it's just ear fatigue. Like we're just both fatigued from like the amount of music that we have to listen to. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Just so long as we stay on top of exactly what it is that we've made it our objective to try and figure out for music, you know? Exactly. I mean, what what would you say that your objective for music is? Um, doing all this stuff like Purple Sneakers, Parry Talks, um, Nomad Radio. What do you actually want to do with it? Um, this is, again, going to sound so sappy. <laughs> I just love my friends so much and I get so proud of them. Like they'll do the smallest little thing like ever and like, if I see like any of my close friends playing a party, like I have to, like, it makes me so emotionally happy. <laughs> like there are so many times where I've been standing on the dance floor and like all my friends will attest to this, where it's just like, we all look at each other and we're like, I can't get over how incredible that these people are. Mm. So I think that's where it comes from really. It's just like a general 
awe and like I find it so inspiring that I just want to platform these people in any and every way I can. Like I just find it so rewarding and so happy like just seeing friends and people that like not necessarily just I'm just like, oh yeah, I know every DJ. Not like that. <laughs> just like seeing people do their thing is so inspiring to me. Yeah. And, like just getting shit done. So like anything I can do to help with that is like where my reward comes in for sure in this whole weird world. You know, um, that that comment that you made about, you know, oh, I'm, I'm besties with everybody in the music scene. That again, <laughs> again, that reminded me of your Pretty Girl interview. So I know that we're only like, what, like 10, 15 minutes into this, but... The topics come up. I want to I wanna get down to the meat of it. Are you ready for something? Are you ready to discuss or always, debate? Always. Argue? All those things? Yeah, always. Okay. So, Perry, I've got a lot of respect for you, but... <laughs> <laughs> Except for this one thing. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I don't think that this particular topic uh, reduces my respect for you at all. But I'm just curious to know, like, what is going through your mind, right? So, in this Pretty Girl interview... By the way, shout out Pretty Girl. Hope you're listening. Yeah, big shout. You're, you're probably not, but like, thank you very much if you are. I'll make sure um, she does. <laughs> uh, you you talked about wanting to dissect the cult elements of the underground scene. So I'd love to talk to you about this because I Let's think go. that's very interesting. So Let's go. first off, first off, I'll be super clear and say that I consider the scene... Uh, or community, I guess, as a positive thing and that continuing to develop it is really important. That's my position. I don't think it's without its faults uh, or bad people. I think there's plenty of those, uh, but it would be also ridiculous of me to expect anything to be perfect without actual troubleshooting. So we might be in different camps here, but I want to get a lay of the land here first. Uh, you were concerned with there being a loss of perspective and that the costs of there being a focus on the underground culture uh, were pressure, uh, anxiety, stress, and the like. There was some discussion about there being some like snobbery um, as well. So I think I understand where you're coming from, but let's talk about this. What is the scene to you? Well, I completely agree that it, on the whole, it is an overarching and massive positive, the fact that these things exist and how progressive it is and how it comes across. But maybe this is more of a Sydney thing, potentially. Sydney slash Eora, you're wrong, um, in the city. Yeah. Um, where there's almost this gatekeepy culture where unless you know someone throwing the party or unless you're in on it, unless, you know, you have some friend of a friend that has this ticket link, you can't come to a party. Mm. And I feel like there's just so much underlying toxic gatekeep culture that can come through very quickly, especially when the parties are so rare and so niche. Um, so that's where I think a lot of the toxicity comes in. This idea that um, we're too good for your party. And there have been a couple parties, and I'm not going to call them out, that um, you know are these pinnacles of community and but at the same time, it's like they're almost effectively p private parties because you can't get in unless you know somebody. Yeah, that's kind of um, shit. <laughs> that's not a community. On the other hand of that as well, it's like um, a lot of these parties for a long time have been extremely whitewashed and I can't speak for other people's experiences, but um, if you go out and I'm the only Greek kid at this party or, or you know, my friend's the only um, 
you know, person from Southeast Asia at this party and they come to the party and they don't feel welcome at the party because no one else there looks like that or, you know, dances like that or likes music like that. Mm. Um, it can come across as, you know, extremely uncomfortable for so many people. And like, I can only speak from my experience, but being the only wog kid at parties is the weirdest thing in the world sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine how much that, um, cause I'm, I'm, I'm white by default and, overarchingly white because i've come from a european background but i can't imagine how that amplifies as well for other people too but you're you're from an immigrant country oh sorry immigrant family sorry about that yeah yeah but amplified for other people like that as well yeah, yeah but if that amplify that'll amplify and like i am the most privileged human being on the world but i can imagine my slight feeling of uncomfort can amplify for other people as well so i think that's that's another point, but I think that's definitely changing and positive and we're definitely way further ahead in dance music than in, in, than most other cultures too. And I feel like all the work I do is empowering these dance communities, but I think there's still so much room for discussion about how can we make this better? How can we make it more inclusive? And how can we teach people about our practices and morals and ideas? Mm -hmm. I, think, I think that's fucking bang on. So it, it seems like we're not necessarily in, the, in different camps. I, I, I agree with you. I think, yeah, overarchingly, like I said before, the community is fucking great. Like in the scene itself, yeah, it's got its fucking faults. Um, that's for sure. But I think the important thing to for, for me that I try and keep in mind when I think about these sorts of things is that the gatekeepers or the people that, you know, uh, like to be very exclusive in their activities, et cetera, um, or their friendship groups or their parties or um, the things that they claim to be community-based. I think the important thing that I have to keep in mind for me is that those people are also part of the community. Even though they are engaging in behaviors that I personally would not condone or support, because they are a part of the community, I still support them indirectly in that they, they, they have their own shit that they bring to the table. You know, um, they, they, they're not perfect <laughs> yeah. and, and neither am I, I'm not, a, I'm not a perfect person by any stretch, but the success of the whole, I think depends on everybody sort of forgiving these faults in each other. So long as they don't do that at the cost of losing a member of the community. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree entirely. And it's not a matter of like canceling or not showing up to these parties or mm. doing anything like that. I was the party I quoted before. I was the first person that bought tickets to that party. <laughs> But it's also like reflecting on that irony of my behavior being like, how am I making these dance floors more accessible myself? Um, but yeah, there's just so much irony as well in my comments and people listening know the party I'm talking about because I don't have to like, I don't even have to say it. Okay. And they'll know that I'll be the first person there. Like, so there's, there's irony in my comments as well. Like I'm not perfect in reflecting that. What do you think about this gatekeeping thing though, in terms of how maybe fresher faced members of the music community or um, perhaps even just people that, that are sort of on the fringes of this community. What ways do you think that they can sort of curtail this gatekeeping? I've got my own opinion on it, but I'd love to hear your take on it first. It's an excellent question because I generally have no idea <laughs> because the thing about these parties and generally underground dance music as a whole, and I think that underground dance music as a whole generally is by default gatekeepy by accident. Um, Why is that? Because it's such so niche. <laughs> like if you're throwing a 120 club, 120 capacity club show, yeah. that will change some people's lives. But you and all your friends are there first because you know what's going on. That's going to sell out by default with your friends and their social circles and their their social circles circles. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really hard to do because it it comes from a place of 
I just want people to experience this thing. Like I just want people to like know what going out in Sydney is like because it is so horrible if you if you just don't stumble across the right events and it's so disgusting. Like I've had people, like when I first started dating my partner now, um, took her to like a nectar party or something and she was like, I had no idea this existed. Like I had no idea that there were parties like this and warehouse spaces and open air spaces. Mm. Um, so I don't know, it's really hard because it's just like super unfortunate. But at the same time, it's like, the reason that these parties can be so pure and so incredible and so special is that they almost are somewhat private, like yeah. where so much beauty comes from that, you know, there's just a lot of trust on these dance floors as well, which I think is so important. And if you are at a party and you know, and you can trust the people around you, that's so important as well. So if that became, you know, if we open the floodgates to an extent, um, it can change that dynamic a lot and clubs are 90 percent space in my opinion space and crowd mm, so mm. yeah i've got no idea how to solve the problem to be honest i think a very good example to look at would be pitch um pitch festival um have you been to any of the pitches um in its recent existence i have not okay um the common consensus um is that in the first maybe two or three or uh, maybe two in the first two years um, pitch was by and large um, a very, in a sense, niche festival that still in its nicheness uh, was able to bring um, some huge household names in dance music. Um, it was like this perfect balance of like getting a, a, the whole fucking cake and eating it too. You, you had this trust that you were speaking about with the exclusivity of the scene, etc. Um, but then I remember reading a Finding Figaro review on, I believe it was maybe either the last or the third pitch that happened. The consensus was, and not just from this review, from but from other punters that have gone to this festival that I've spoken to as well, they've all said that that particular feeling of trust and, for lack of a better phrase, exclusivity was lost because, like you said, the floodgates had been opened to an extent um, to people that might not necessarily have like that emotional or physical investment, um, the artistic spaces in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah. In terms of curtailing gatekeeping, um, for the newer people out there that are on this scene that are listening to this, and I hope you are because Parry Talks is fucking great, by the way. The thing that you need to keep in mind, right? This is this is just how I've sort of like tried to get past it. Um, th there's no doubt gatekeeping exists and I've fucking experienced that like a hundredfold. But the way to get through it is to just do your own shit. It's an easy thing to say and it's a hard thing to do. I know that because I've experienced it. But I'll tell you now, if you are able to work... Uh, on your own craft and create your own communities and work with people that are in a similar position to you and create those groups and create those, eh, you know, without the racial uh, connotations to it, diasporas in a way of in this music community, then you are able to build at the very least some community for yourself if you feel like you're being excluded by the community that you wanted to get into. By doing that, if you're able to make your own opportunities, not only will you get the benefit of having a community around you and you know, having a network of people that you can rely on, you'll be the owner of your own shit, of your own ship as well. Yeah. I think that's really important. Ownership is everything. And people don't speak about that enough in life. Mm -hmm. um, just the world is so accessible now. And like, this comes back to the thing where it's like, I'm so fortunate that I have this weird mindset of just like, and my friends will say this to me, it's like, Parry just gets shit done. Yeah. And not everyone has like the mental um, structure that 
allows them to do that because it can be so much harder for other people and I've been very fortunate in the way that my brain's been put together for me to just get shit done. But um, even just like approaching the platforms that you really enjoy and reaching out to those people because mm-hmm. people are so friendly. Like if that's not for you, if throwing a party's not for you, if DJing's not for you, if you can just talk to the people that you trust and respect in those spheres, um, perspectives do change as well. And you see that so much, like especially now, um, there's almost like two generations in um, Eora dance music at the moment. And it's so funny to see like all of us cross-pollinating now. Interesting. Because there was this weird divide um, for a little bit where the same people would look the same people and there's still promoters that sort of still do that. But it's good to see that like that all come together really nicely because people are having those conversations. When you when you say generations, do you mean specifically by the sorry defined by the time that they entered the industry is that what you're meaning yeah and there's also like this like a by generations i mean like four years of time right okay (laughs) so like people throwing parties like four years ago when we were like when all like our friends or whatever were not 18 and then now um throwing massive parties and stuff so that's the sort of time gap i mean i wonder how those people feel like i can't say that i'm like a spring chicken in terms of entering the music industry, well, like the dance music industry, I would say that I'm fairly fresh-faced. I wonder what it's like for the older generation to look at these newcomers coming in and what their thoughts are. Because it's nice to have this cross-pollination that you're talking about in, in, in Sydney, but I suppose from their perspective, I can almost sense like a bit of a... I mean, the music scene for the longest time has been dictated by this like scarcity mindset. In the sense that like there's not enough venues or there's not enough licenses or there's not enough like people or places to really capitalize on like these music events or these music spaces, etc. And so when you have that scarcity mindset, when newcomers come into an industry, personally, I haven't ever experienced this myself because I am new. But like I can imagine that the older generation might feel like, oh, like they're taking all our fucking spots again. You know what I mean? I don't know. I think... And like to lighten the conversation up, not in a not in a bad way, <laughs> but I think there's, and we've criticized all these people as well, but I think they genuinely love it. I feel like it puts a lot of pressure off their back as well. Oh, yeah. Where it almost goes back to the, how we our conversation started. It's like these people can go to parties now and not worry about their friends playing, not worrying about liaisoning an artist. I think they genuinely really love it. And you see so many figures like, you know, your Mike Hughes, your Andy Garvey's really giving back and spending a lot of time with these people and like, and me as well, like I speak of um, in Melbourne, nah, I'm sorry, um, DJ Sarah, who is like my literal mentor and spends so much time just helping me with everything Hell yeah. and every little move. And so I just, I think that on the whole, they genuinely love more faces, more people, more names. Um, and I think they've really welcomed it too, which is so incredible. I'd, I'd agree with that. DJ Sarah, if you're listening in, Thank you for all the work that you've done. You've heard me talk so much good things about uh, Whip Project and everything that you've done as well. I'm a f- big fucking fan of Into Stella too. So thank you. Appreciate it. By the way, <laughs> to also lighten the conversation even further, how did you feel when I copied your compilation idea? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't really care. Yeah, okay. I feel like if someone's raising money, how can you critique that? And like the word alumni has existed for years. <laughs> Um, these charities have existed for years. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really care. I saw it. I was like, okay, sick. Like the post and move on with my day. <laughs> I feel like I don't, know, I, can't, I don't I don't really hate anyone or like no, despise or like, I don't know. I'm just like, 
I'm I'm not in the mindset of gatekeeping anything really. And the more people, like, and I think about it in every aspect. Like, if I see a new dance music blog start, or if I see a new podcast series start interviewing similar people to me, mm. that's so incredible in my eyes. I love that. Hell yeah! I I, I remember seeing the alumni uh, volume one compilation that you did because I was doing some research for Caitlin when she was about to come onto the podcast, and uh, yeah, I saw that and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Why didn't I think of this? I'm going to steal it. So I, I stole it. And firstly, I just want to give credit where credit's due. Um, it's a fucking cool idea. I think it's really, really cool, um, especially for like music-based podcasts as well. Also, the fact that you've raised over uh, 1.5K for Aboriginal Legal Service and Redfern as well. It's fucking amazing. Also, already over 500 for Volume 2 for Smugglers of Light as well. Yeah, we're, near, we're close to 600. Cool. Um, Damn. So we've nearly done... Yeah, we've done like $2,000 this year donated. Holy crap. Super crazy. Holy crap. What drew you to Smugglers of Light, by the way? Because that's a really interesting um, charity organization. So we were, so when I collate the compilations, um, I reach out to the artists just saying, hey, we're going to go for an Indigenous charity. Once you're locked in, once I know the song's going to be good, we'll do like a quick poll um, of just like what charities you guys are into. Um, Because I'm not emotionally attached, like, the first one for um, Aboriginal Legal Service in Redfern. Like I record my podcast from a pub. Yeah, I'll say, I don't care. No one's going to come up. The Lord Gladstone Hotel, which is in Chippendale, which is just around the corner. Nice. Um, FBI Radio as well is in Redfern too, which is like the people that I look up to for absolutely everything. So it was super local and that whole compilation was um, super local based as well. Everyone lived like within a five kilometer radius. So that wow. made the most sense. So I made that decision. But um Back to Smugglers of Light. Yeah, so we just did a little poll and I think Purient um, suggested Smugglers of Light and then I cleared it across everyone else and everyone was like, yeah, that is so sick. Nice. Let's do that. That's so cool. That's so fucking cool. I'm into that. The second compilation, by the way, that is, that is some pure heat that you've got there. By the way, folks, if you haven't listened to this or um, purchased it already, please do. I highly recommend it. This is the this is the OG compilation that you want to be hearing in terms of podcast compilations. It's quite clear that you do this with serious passion. Um, and I think that that really shows like in the quality of the compilation in of itself. Yeah. Um, the main thing was, and it started pretty much because people always talk about paying the rent and giving back and like acknowledging the traditional owners of any sort of land, it's like, yeah, you can say that, but what are you actually doing? Like you can say you run a podcast on stolen land, but what are you actually doing? So mm. it came from a very, in a weird way to say a strategic point of view, not strategic in a business sense, but strategic in a, in my deep down heart sense where it's like, I can say, I can acknowledge the traditional owners of the land at the start of every podcast or whatever. But like, what am I actually doing to acknowledge that? Mm. So I just thought of a fundraiser idea, had the previous, um, had the previous history working for a record label. And I was like, oh, this is actually some of my resources that I can use and my brain resource that I can use. So it's sort of grown really crazy and all the support. But yeah, it does come from a deep place of passion where um, it's easy to put together a compilation and put it on Bandcamp, but like how can we actually release this and offer an artist service, which I think is so important. Offering an artist service with the charity element, I think people are extremely grateful for and that's why it comes across um, so, um, you know, thorough and you know, deep. I'm going to ask you a very hard question. <laughs> One that I know that every interviewer has a lot of trouble answering because um, you love all your kids equally. But Parry, be honest with me. Who's your favorite interview that you've had so far? Oh, this is this is a weirdly easy question. Hang oh. on, I'm just going to pull up the um 
just my Instagram so I can get the list up. Yeah, yeah, yeah go for but it. But I, oh, this is going to be weird to say. I'm sorry to everybody <laughs> um, listening and all my previous guests and I love them all. But I've made some of my closest friends, like my best friends, like right now, I think on the podcast. And I think some of those early ones, like Caitlin, for sure, mm. like we spoke work-wise, but had never properly sat down and had a conversation. Our first proper in real life conversation was um, on the podcast. So them for sure. Um, Lexalux, my angel, my my twin yes. soul. Yes, It's a scary how similar we are. And I met Lexi properly for the first time when we did the podcast. Um, so those two for sure stick out. Wesley Chiang, who runs Sushi, oh. um, who is just like the coolest human being ever. Another one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, probably those. Um, and sorry if I left you out, but, <laughs> and Danny and Deeper as well. Danny and Deeper has to be Danny and Deeper from Honey Point. Um, they're one of the only guests that I've done a, like a pair of podcasts with. Um, and just like meeting, the, and they're one of those people that I was speaking about earlier that have just inspired so much of my work and yeah. their work ethic and Deeper's ideas. And just like, like Deeper's just taught me too much. Like I owe her too much. <laughs> Um, about everything. So the, yeah, they're my favorites for sure. Sorry, everyone else. That that was weirdly easy. Yeah, <laughs> I got. Fa- I pick favorites. No, that's I'm not good. Afraid. That's good. Um, interviewer to interviewer, what are your pet peeves when it comes to interviewing? In terms of when I see other people interview, or when when like when I'm trying to get something out of an artist and it's annoying me. It, oh, actually, that's a very interesting dichotomy. Um, let's let's go with both. But first, start with when you hear other people interview. Oh, I've got so many and you haven't done any of them. Um, I just, oh, I don't know. I think it's all about um, how you, not in a weird way, but how you market an interview. Like if it's a Q&A and you're not doing a whole lot and you're trying to actually tell the story, you're trying to get a click, mm-hmm. then make it like that. I hate when people push these massive features, these massive interviews, and they're not actually having a real conversation with an artist. Mm. So that's the main one. And it's not nothing to do with like the questions people ask or anything. Because all my experiences of interviews have been so incredible, um, like reading them and stuff. Um, but yeah, not that many, actually. I just hate when people don't tell a story thoroughly and properly, um, which is like a weird overarching thing to say, but that's definitely it. Well, well, what about when you're trying to get something out of an artist? Oh, yes. these artists. Rappers are the rappers are way worse. Rappers really? are way Why? easier. Sorry, sorry. Rappers are way easier to interview than DJs. Right. You have a rapper in and it's just like you say one word and they're like, let me talk about myself and I love it. And hip hop DJs, same thing. It's the best. But it's just like, oh, it's like Bestie. I'm trying to sell your EP. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. talk to me, babe. Like, <laughs> but like no, I, other than that, like every, almost every, I've never had any bad interviews. Um, even if they can come across as a bit struggling sometimes internally, um, it's all in my head. And like people, are, I'm just generally so grateful for everyone's time. And, you know, having someone come to a pub, you know, to sit in a dark room with me is super i'm just grateful from the beginning so you can't do anything wrong in my eyes that's true I, I i do i do agree with you it's funny when you're doing an interview and you feel like it's going super shit in your head but then you listen back to it afterwards while you're editing it and it's like oh this is actually a really good interview like it nothing's wrong with it you know what I mean? exactly it happens every single time and that's that's probably with all conversations as well not just interviews right like um when you when you feel like you've come across as a bit of an asshole to someone or you feel like um oh this person was just being so mean to me if only there was a way where we could listen back to all of our conversations that would drive me insane no do the opposite it would do the opposite i don't know i don't want to know what i've said to someone at the bridge at 
you know, 6.30 in the morning. I do not want to know. Just keep that in that moment of time. When we have, when we get Neuralink uh, chips into our brains, that'll probably come up at some point. I hope that's all <laughs> forward-facing and not retrospective. Well, I mean, one can only hope. One can only hope. Who knows? When you put your brain at the hands of a supposedly benevolent genius such as Elon Musk, uh, we'll see. By the way, uh, I'd also love to talk to you a little bit about Purple Sneakers because obviously you are the head honcho of Purple Sneakers. Emma Jones, her announcement tweet said that you had, uh, when she was handing over the um, proverbial throne to you, that you had a lot of ideas on how to continue brand expansion. How's it going? And what were those ideas? It's going really well. Um, the main one was, and Purple Sneakers is very, very Eora focused. I think generally and historically has been, um, you know, when you do a job and you know, you've killed that job and then you get to a point of time where you just know that you're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's just how Emma was feeling. And Emma's doing so many incredible things still now. Um, I was just ready for a fresh face pretty much. And I've naturally fell into that. Um, but the ideas were mainly just physical, bring back the physical, which we can now. And I, I haven't announced the party yet, but we've got a nice monthly party back for Purple Sneakers. Oh, shit. They'll be very chill like don't get too hyped just come have a beer with me type energy. i'm trying to sell your concert bestie come on <laughs> <laughs> i just haven't announced them yet and like we're still in on the venue i haven't booked anyone yet so who knows it might fall on its face okay but um yeah those shows are gonna happen and then just like my fierce tone and <laughs> really was like what what a lot of the ideas came from just having a really distinct voice on the website that was super local and super engaged. And not that Emma wasn't doing that. Her time was just over mm -hmm. and she knew it was over and she had to move on. Um, but yeah, I think that was mainly where the idea came from and it's doing so well. I've, the response has been incredible and yeah, just super grateful. Having that fierce voice and that fierce tone um, for Purple Sneakers, have you found that that's done better for the publication or do you f find that there's been like a few road bumps along the way with trying to adopt that. It definitely took some time to get used to. Um, Cause I'm, I'm despite my public image, I'm a very private person. I feel like um, with who I am. So going on the platform and saying that, um, you know, the state of everything is bad or this is really great. And this is what I think is great. Took a lot of learning, mm. but there hasn't been any like backlash or anything like that. It's been very positive and, yeah, it took a lot of learning on how to do it properly and respectfully and like in a friendly sort of way, which is weird. So it's definitely just like trust, trust in yourself, trust in your ideas. And also it's just like, I do have an incredible pe group of people around me where I can be like, hey, what do you think of this? <laughs> like, just like the headline. And they're like, yeah, that sounds pretty fair and reasonable. Mm. Um, and I'm just like, don't think about it, just go. <laughs> just like, And especially on the podcast as well. Um, I just like try to be as raw as possible. And I think that's what works well. Well, when you first started the podcast, because I haven't listened to the earlier episodes, um, what's the biggest difference between your style then and your style now? Wow. Well, I can actually interview now. <laughs> it was. It's definitely a lot more conversational now. It started, I was just super panicked, I think it feel like at the start. And not that the interviews were bad. Um, and it, I, I, f I found it very quickly that it's not about having a level of expertise always. You don't have to be an expert on a topic to have a great conversation with someone. Um, so I found that doing a lot of learning on the job, like learning about someone um, while you're talking to them helped a lot. And I feel like just putting a lot less pressure on the interview process and putting a lot more more focus on comfort of the guests and 
um, them trusting you changed a lot for me. Interesting to me, by the way, that you've expressed yourself to be a private person and yet almost everything you do is uh, public, uh, front-facing. You know, you're, you're literally putting yourself out there, speaking to people in a very extroverted manner. Were you always someone that liked to meet new people and have conversations? Or has that changed over time? I, I still, if I go out now and I'm with my friends, I don't talk to anyone except for my friends, which is really bad and toxic. But like, <laughs> and I think like that's a club thing where you go out and it's, um, like I go out to Zen out and just completely lose myself. Mm. So I feel like I'm not even that interested in meeting new people or networking. I've never networked. I think that's so disgusting and toxic, mm-hmm. like the idea of networking generally. But as a young person, yeah, I was like in trusted environments. I was so keen to just like meet new people and like talk to people and like school. It's like, what do you do? It's like, <laughs> oh, no. And I just get along. I try to get along with everyone, like from the meatheads. <laughs> I love them to bits. Yeah. The gym junkies. Yep. I love them so much to, you know, the people drawing art in the corner of like the playground. I was like, that was my shit. Just like not having anywhere to sit, just going ham. Were you, were you in a clique at all? Yeah, definitely. Which one? Well, I'm a massive, I'm a massive cricket head. Oh. And I like cricket, I think more than music by far. Don't even like cricket, like sports. Like if, if I, I like sports way more than I like music. Interesting. Um, so yeah, it was definitely like a cricket click. We had a very strong cricket click. And I, I sh- cause the cricket's on as we speak. I sure that the group chat is going nuts, just commentating every single ball. If you love sports more then why not do more content there um, instead of music? It's not as, I don't think it's as communal at the grassroots level. Right. So from a practical point of view, there are people more interested in really small artists than there are people interested in really small, um, athletes. <laughs> right. And there's just more to talk about. Like who cares at the end of the day? Sports is like, pure entertainment to me Mm. it is like the rawest form of entertainment where people are throwing a little leather ball at each other (laughs) whereas there's just like there's way more community way more love and affection in music so you feel like there isn't as much community uh even among like fan bases for sports in australia at least i think so for sure yeah and it's, it's it's much more disjointed and stuff so it's it's definitely a practical thing and also there's a beauty in me being able to go to the cricket or the bull a bulldogs game and not like and be in a completely different world mm. and like not like not not be myself for a bit because i'm still very much myself yeah but be able to just like be a new person effectively if anything that's being more of yourself because you don't have to like dissociate it from work like you do with music you know <laughs> exactly <laughs> i can just go and have a beer at 9 30 in the morning <laughs> and just like be a drunk cricket fan for a bit like a drunk respectful cricket fan for a bit do you do you like any other sports as much as cricket so rugby league is the other big one i grew up in canterbury bank sound uh, i still live in canterbury bank sound mm-hmm. which is like the rugby league freaking hot spot in this city um so i didn't have a choice like i grew up around the corner from Belmore sports ground where the bulldogs used to play um so i, I love that so much and it's such a great community and then the Premier League as well. Shout out to my sleep cycle. I'll go get home from a club from a night out at like three o'clock, say, mm-hmm. and United will play at three thirty. So I'm in bed, staring at the ceiling, watching Man United play it till five thirty in the morning. All my friends are in bed, and they're talking about like I wake up the next morning and they're talking about what are we doing this afternoon? Let's get a beer. And I'm like, no, <laughs> not tonight. Sorry, babe. Not tonight, babe. Are, are you the kind of person though that like you'd go to a kick-ons, a game was on, you put that game on the projector or the TV screen no, no, while no. everybody else? No, no, it's a private thing. Optus, the Optus Sport app. Oh, just keep it in your pocket. Um, there was another thing where the Ashes were playing, where the Ashes were on, mm-hmm. 
in England. So there was like a time difference. So I was at, I remember Skin on Skin's first ever show in Sydney, tiny club night. And I propped up the, um, the cricket, like just behind the decks, like to the right, like not, not in anyone's space, but yeah, just like yeah. to the right <laughs> at Oxford underground. And people were tapping on the shoulder, like, Hey man, what's the score? And I'm like, it's three for 50. And they're like, sick. <laughs> and I'd just be like doing these ones. And then, you know, bloody Steve Smith would score a hundred. Perry, I would love to do one of my favorite sections that I do on this show. And that is called let's get real. Shall we? Perry, I'm going to ask you a series of very invasive questions in which I will go to the core of your being so that I may understand who you are, where you've come from, and where you may be going. Does that sound good to you? Sounds epic. Question number one. Perry, if you could be any mythical creature, what would you be and why? Oh, I would so be a minotaur. Ooh. Like in the middle of a labyrinth, just chilling. That sounds so epic to me. Yes. And then someone can just come and fool me. That's right. The Minotaur in the labyrinth, right? Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, yeah okay, is. sick. Uh, my Greek mythology. <laughs> Far out. I should know more. Um, just chilling and then someone comes and trolls me like with a little piece of string. That's hot. I'm into that. <laughs> is that your fetish? Nah, not strings. <laughs> Question number two. Oh, I, I fucking, I think you'll have a great one for this. Perry, what cliche do you think is bullshit? What cliche do you think holds truth? So that's a two-part question. Let's go with bullshit first. Okay, okay. Bullshit, hip-hop mosh etiquette. Just kidding. <laughs> but that is definitely bullshit. Um, oh, I'll start with the other one because it's easier to ask. Okay, cool, cool. The one that's true. Mm -hmm. And because I can say this because I am this person. Yeah. Is the whole, the Pam, like Pam Hill in Ivanica, um, like the Pam Salomon wearing baggy pants, oversized t-shirt, like a dance head thing that's yep. me i'm wearing salons right now i'm wearing a 2xl t-shirt i don't need to wear a 2xl t-shirt and i'm wearing shorts that are probably just too short for me salons have the best shoes exactly and i'll go to every wave this weekend wearing the same thing so that's so true and i'm sorry if that offends you but i am that and you can't stop me um in terms of one that isn't true i think that the whole soft boy thing gets a bit of a hard time like i hate soft boys but I think that sometimes they get a bit of a hard sell. Like you can like Tame Impala and not be a soft boy. That's it. That's the one. It's the people that are into Tame Impala can actually be really cool people. And I hate when people shit on people that like Tame Impala. If you shit on people that like Tame Impala, you just don't like yourself because you can't admit that you like the music. Burn. Burn. All you single people out there that are banging on soft boys. Now you know. Exactly. You know. No, not so much soft boys, more the Tame Impala soft boys, that brand. <laughs> That's too harsh. I, I think that there, like you said, that there are a lot of people out there that will just reject anyone for anything without really actually getting to know someone. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I know that you said that you don't have any conspiracy theories, but I fucking love talking about them. <laughs> I'm happy to talk about them. Let's, uh, let's go with this question. I think it's easier than the conspiracy theory one. What is the strangest thing that you believe in? Do you believe in the supernatural, heaven, angel, ghosts, luck, fate, magic, mind reading, lizard people, the Illuminati? Where do you draw the line of disbelief and belief? I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm a little dummy, but I'm very willing to believe people instantly when it comes to ghost stories and stuff. Mm. It's like if, if I know someone's had, someone's had a ghost experience, I trust you. I believe you. Yes. I'm here for you. Like, I'm like, and I definitely like... Maybe this isn't necessarily the weirdest thing, but like energy and spirituality, mm -hmm. so true. Mm -hmm. Like there there was something in, like when I have an incredible club experience or whatever, it's like there's something in the, and that can come from just pure energy and smiling faces and stuff. But there is something there that that is, is like, and I'm not necessarily like, you know, talking about God or something, but there is something like incredible about this 
idea of mindfulness and moments that like you, it's just undeniable to me. So I guess that's weird, but I guess a lot of people agree with that too. I don't know. How, how do you enact mindfulness within yourself, like in your day to day? Oh, best you. <laughs> you've come to the right place. Well, I wake up. I wake up every morning. I meditate for like half an hour every single morning, just breathing, ambient music, um, my essential oil diffuser. I get to like, so I sort of hop between working at home every morning and then I come to my workspace now. I get in here, I play just like 15 minutes of ambient music, essential oil diffuser on, sit on the couch, just look out on my, look out onto Regent Street, shout out to Regent Street and just like do nothing. So I think I have to, otherwise I'd lose my mind. I do it every single day. If I miss it, I feel like a, like a shell of myself. Mm. And I feel like holidaying can be really hard because I go out, I go on holiday and I lose myself so quickly. My next question for you is, this one's more of a lighthearted one. If you lived in a colonial or medieval village, what would your job be? I feel like I'd stray more carpentry Ooh. or like craftsman. I'm not sure the exact term, but very much in that world. I like getting shit done, as they say, famously. <laughs> How do you balance everything? Like you've got like at the very least like five different things on your plate that you have to get done within any particular week. How do you balance all that? I don't. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so much of it comes from love and I'm so fortunate that my day job is the best day job in the freaking world, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, so it still gives me a lot of energy to do things outside of that, which I'm so grateful for. So I guess a lot of it comes from that where I can finish work on a day and then be like, hey, I'm going to record a podcast and not feel wasted. Mm. Um, or like I'm going to go tie dye some t-shirts and print some t-shirts. It's like, so I don't feel, so I guess a lot of the privilege comes from that. But um, in terms of proper time management, I have none. It's very much, I get up, I finish work and then whatever I feel like doing, I'll do. Which I guess is so beautiful as well. Do you have like anything on like a whiteboard or like a schedule or notes that you kind of adhere to at all? No. Damn. My content, my podcast schedule is in my diary. Um, but other than that, like other than proper work structures, none, none of it. I have no allotted time for anything. Amazing. Love to learn from you um, at some point. Pick my brains. Yes, please. I, I I can barely handle any of my shit by myself. Shout out to all the people that have supported me. I fucking appreciate you. And big shout out to um, the elephant in the room, Jossie Peters, oh. Peter, actually, um, who helps me with all the Parry Talk stuff. She effectively runs our Nomad show for me, um, oh. who's an incredible helper and human being too. Does Jossie also do uh, Mercury World with you, per chance? No, Mercury World is... My labor, my I help with it from a creative point of view. But my friend Pat, shout out to Pat as well. Wow, <laughs> what a man, what a human being. Yeah, yeah. He's like the design wizard. He's got all the screen printing stuff. So me and him do that. Just sort of helps out with Parry Talks every now and then. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so they're the two my two compadres. That's fucking awesome. That's fucking awesome. Isn't it nice having friends? Isn't it nice? I can't even speak highly of it. Shout out to everyone, my friends listening. <laughs> Shout out to him. Excellent. Excellent. Friends, I hope you are listening in because this man is a wonder and you're very lucky to have him in your circles. My last question for you, Perry. Slightly negative, but I think we can spin it into something positive. So what trait do you admire in others, but don't possess yourself? I think because I, I DJ per se, um, but I don't want to be a DJ. Like I don't want to take up space on lineups or whatever. And just seeing the... DJs and it's like oh DJ this DJ that but seeing them do their thing and have that energy and the charisma and the love and the passion for the people around them I could never do which I guess is a big part of why I do all this stuff um is to give back to that but yeah just that charisma and energy and that just like the the 
selflessness of being a DJ sometime um, is incredible. So that for sure. Do you, do you feel as though that that particular um, energy and charisma that you admire in them, you don't exhibit in your own, you know, podcasts at all? Definitely, but I could never do it on in that space, yeah. in that capacity, in that. We're just like, I want them to thrive in that. I don't even want to touch it or think about it. There is an interesting question that can come from this. If you were to do a TED Talk on anything, what would it be on? It would be on supporting your friends. Oh. Literally. And it'd just be on generally um, this idea of selflessness and this idea of like love for other people and just showing that like, you can read as many self-help books as you like. You can try and manipulate as many conversations as you can with this book that you read or this TikTok that you saw. But nothing is more pure than genuinely loving something and loving your friends and loving the people around you, loving your partner. And that's where all the benefits of the world come from. So definitely something like that. If you could leave the audience with this, what are three points that you would tell anybody to help them support their friends better? Never expect anything in return. Mm Mm-hmm. Give favors, do everything for people if you trust them and care about them. Even at the expense of yourself? No. If it's like, if it's, if it's practical and you're into it and your gut tells you that this is something that you want to do, go ham, give it all. Mm-hmm. And then I guess that's the second point is just like, do, um, just like don't leave anything behind. You shouldn't leave any questions unasked ever in life. So that's number two. And then number three, third thing would just be like, just, don't fake it, obviously, but like um, if you know someone's having a hard time or, you know, struggling with something or think about something, just like, you know, be there for people mm. um, if you can, of course. But if you if you are that person and so many people think of it from like the selfish point of view, it's like, oh, I'm putting so much time into this, but what am I getting back or anything like that? It's like it'll, it's all worth it if you trust and care and your gut feeling is telling you to do so. So just, yeah, try not to be compromised by that or think about yourself in any of those situations. It, like, think about yourself in a, what can I get out of this yeah. sort of thing? You should never think of that. It's a removal of ego um, in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I've sensed no ego from you uh, during this conversation, Perry, and that is a very fantastic side to see. I, I personally, I think ego is like um, important in some contexts, but um, like you said, in the context of actually supporting your friends, I agree with you. It's not, it doesn't have a place there. Exactly. And like, if you're getting shit done, it's like, it's like, oh, why should I come on Parry Talks? It's because I'm the best at this. <laughs> like, that's why. Yeah. That's where ego is so important. You have to trust yourself and be confident in yourself. But if you're having a conversation with someone over a beer, like there should be no idea of, what can I get out of this? Who, what venue has this DJ played? Or, you know, who yeah. they friends with? Yeah. Like that level of thinking is so toxic and I see it so much. Well, for the audience that's listening out there, if you do engage in this behavior, please check yourself and uh, take yourself on a holiday to Barbados or something. I don't know. Come talk to me. <laughs> Come talk to Perry. He's a very friendly face. Excellent. Perry, um, I think it's about time that we wrap up this interview. And uh, I cannot say enough how much I have enjoyed it. Um, it has been such a pleasure to get to know uh, the voice behind not only Perry Talks, but also of Purple Sneakers and of Acclaim Magazine. And for every single other fucking project that you've got your fingers in, I think it's been so enlightening. It's very clear that you are someone that has a lot of passion for this industry, but not only passion, but also respect as well. You have respect for yourself. You've got respect for the people around you and you have respect for this industry on on a whole. I think you've 
definitely got a beautiful brain uh, to be working with and to contribute to the scene. And I could not be happier that you are a part of it. So thank you. I thank you so much for your time. That was so gorgeous. And the same respect to you. As I said, I wouldn't come on a platform if I didn't trust the platform. So super grateful once again. All right, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in uh, for the very last week of Spinning Around. Please stay locked until 7 p.m. AEDT for we have all the way over from the US Sobolik. You've been listening to Spinning Around with Haile Minogue on Area 3000 playing Parry Talks right now.